All right. Happy Canada Day. Tomorrow's the big day. Anybody who thinks it's just cold and snowy here all the time, well, they'd be wrong. It's not. Two and a half months ago, we had that big ice storm. Just let that sink in. Two and a half months ago. And now it feels like Florida. And none of you better complain, I hope. All the complaining that goes on around here in the winter, I hope nobody's complaining that it's too hot. Because winter's going to be back in about six months. All right, winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter will return. Look, I want to highlight something there, and actually I have this in my notes to mention here uh, this weekend. 98% of our building fund pledge has come in so far. 98%. Give yourselves a hand, absolutely. Now, what that's actually saying is 98%, the original group who made those pledges, remember about six months ago, wrote them all out, made the pledges, 98% of that has come in. That's what's come in so far, of the original uh, amount that was pledged. Uh, and I want to encourage you to keep on giving her during the summer. We are going to be opening up there. Uh, looks like in August will be the first services, and we're literally into the home stretch now, uh, down on the uh, site there. All the, a lot of the big work is done. There's just a couple uh, things left. Uh, connecting it to power is the biggest thing left, so be praying as well still. Pray that everything goes smooth the next few weeks, uh, and uh, we're going to get that thing opened and ready to roll. Come on, how many are excited about this season we're in right now as a church? Amen? Now, we're going to, uh, during the summer here, <clears throat> we're going to be doing a, uh, a series of messages, if you will. We're not doing a message series in the typical sense, but what we're going to start to do is a summer growth series. How many think just because it's summer doesn't mean we take off from growing and we just somehow uh, just sit at a beach all summer and uh, wither away? Get your vacation in, enjoy life, absolutely. Get out and enjoy time with friends and family. Uh, but we're gonna, you're going to hear a collection of different messages uh, over the next couple of months, different speakers speaking, different themes, but all of them are going to be essential at helping and equipping you to grow. How many want to keep growing in your walk with God? Come on, here's a good way to look at it. You're either growing or you're not. Come on, let's make sure that we're growing in our faith, growing in our journey with Jesus. Amen? How many of you think that Christians should have an impact in our nation? How many think that Christians should have an impact in society? Sometimes it can seem overwhelming, right? We have these discussions sometimes, and people say, but what can I do in the face of, a, you know, in our nation here, 35, 36, 38 million people, whatever we're at now, what can just little old me do? Well, first of all, that question right there, you're forgetting one key component. The little old you is connected to big old him. It's not about what can you and I do on our own. What can God do through sold-out, committed, growing believers who are determined to love on people and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community? I believe that Christians not only can transform cities and nations, but we are called to do that. If believers aren't going to, who else is going to? Come on, we go right back to the beginning uh, of the church, uh, back in the New Testament, and you see this was their mission and this was their mandate, and we're going to kick off this uh, summer growth series here, and I'm going to actually share with you a very uh, simple, uh, you know, intro growth plan uh, for you this summer, and of course, any growth plan that involves the Word of God and that involves Jesus is going to involve connecting others to Him. 
it's going to involve being uh, representatives of Jesus in our lives. Listen to this, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will restore their land. How many here have been called by him? You're here tonight because Jesus called you. The Lord came and knocked on your door. You might have thought you went looking for him. Well, guess what? He was long before looking for you. And he's still looking for the people that you know, the people in your workplace, your neighborhoods, uh, like Mary was sharing in pre-service prayer. And we had a great time of pre-service prayer tonight. I encourage more of you to come and join us, pre-service prayer. Tomorrow morning, it'll be at 9.30, now that the service time has changed. We were praying that we would have a heart of compassion for the people in our city. Because Jesus had compassion on the people around him. Now, in this verse, the word land means land, earth, nation, country, and people. This is what this word uh, land uh, means here. It's not, um, you know, a people group, a nation, a country, uh, is what we're seeing here, that God will come and restore a land, an earth, a nation, a people group, if we will do those things above. You know, we're not called by God just to join a social club or live a little bit cleaner of a life. You know, we're called to a mission. Your life has been enrolled now in the greatest mission that will ever exist. The, mission, the greatest mission that will ever exist uh, that Jesus has called us to. And the way we radically see transformation come is one person at a time. Many of you can look in your own families and you can trace back, and maybe it's you sitting here, but some of you, you can trace back a few generations and you can find the one person who first encountered Jesus, their life was transformed, and your family tree has never been the same since. For some of you, you're that first one. And people generations from now are going to look back at you and they're going to say, man, it was because they found Christ. They gave their lives to Jesus. The Lord came and uh, knocked on their door and they responded. And our generation, our family has never been the same since. Don't underestimate the impact of one person getting connected with Jesus. One family getting connected with Jesus. Amen? I believe that we can take a time like a summer season like this and we can grow, and we can get ourselves uh, just absolutely sold out to the plans and the purposes uh, of God in our life. You know, and I believe we have to remember a couple key things. In Scripture, God always gives us our part, but he leaves the heavy lifting to himself. God is the one who saves people. You and I can't do that. Stop with that unrealistic pressure. You cannot get someone to accept this amazing gift of Jesus. But boy, oh boy, you can sure represent him to them. You can share the good news. We can serve. We can love. We can pray. We can do our part, and we need to do our part. But he ultimately is the one who makes it happen. Let's learn to live a life that says, I'm going to be faithful with my part, and I'm going to leave his job in his hands. God, I'm going to leave your uh, job with you. I'm not going to try to take that on me as if I can somehow uh, make it happen. The Great Commission kind of lays it out very clearly for us. In Matthew 28, 16 to 20, it says, The 11 disciples were going to the mountain where Jesus told them to, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. There's a whole, another whole message right there, but we're going to just keep going. 
Jesus came and said to them, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the end of the age. Boy, I love this passage. If you're not entirely sure what you should be doing as a believer, just get into this, memorize this, and start living it. The presence of God will show up and will support you 110%. I assure you of that. And there are some key words in here. There are some key phrases in here. We're going to go through this. I'm going to give you a six-step introduction to our summer growth plan. You can follow along on the church app, or if you're going old school, uh, get your pens ready uh, to jot this down. I'm going to give you six steps that you can start to dive into this summer, establishing some new habits uh, and some new, uh, you know, just be more perseverant in the things that God has laid before you. The first thing, and I'm just pulling this right from the two scriptures we looked at. How many would agree, if you're going to look for a place to find a growth plan in your life, just take it right out of the Bible? Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm sure there's good books and things you can find on this, but boy, if it isn't just coming straight from scripture, uh, you know, start there and then worry about some extra fancy stuff. I'm going to just come from the two verses we just read, Chronicles and Matthew 28. The first thing we can do, number one, Go. Say go. go. How many remember as kids, and some of you who are young, you're living this still today, right now. Your parents bringing you into the, let's say, into the living room to sit down and have a conversation about how abysmal your bedroom looks. <laughs> Anybody remember those chats? Some of you are, yeah, are, just had one recently probably. And they sit down and they talk with you and they say, look, we've talked about this a billion times. You were told to go clean your room and it should look like this. Don't go up there and goof around and come back and say it's done and that's, that's still how it looks. They have a conversation. They very clearly lay out the expectation. At the end of the conversation, what would your parents' response be if you just sat there? And they, okay, good chat. We're done. Have at it. And the child just sits there and doesn't budge. Any of you kids like to tell us what happens next? Well, forget it. We don't need to hear your uh, <laughs> parents' discipline methods. Well, there's something missing. What should be the very first thing that child does after that conversation? Get up and go. Get up and go. The, the job will not get done unless they get into the act of going. And right here where we get the very first word in the Great Commission is go. Say it again. Go. You are not called as believers to just come and sit. We are called to come and enjoy our time in God's presence, to worship, to love on one another, to support and strengthen each other, and then we go. This is how the Great Commission begins. Go, 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 go. Nothing's going to happen by just sitting here talking about it forever. We've got to learn how to go if we're going to see something done. Okay, so the very first part of your summer growth plan is going to be get up and go. It's time to start putting some action behind things that you've maybe had in your heart for a long time. Some dreams that have been there. Some things that you know God wants you to do, but you've you know, either still sat on the couch trying to argue or rationalize or it's not the right time or I don't know what I'm doing. Get up and go and start serving Jesus. Second thing, make disciples, it tells us. It says, go make disciples. Now, that's a loaded phrase because, again, God does the heavy lifting in this. But if we're going to get busy for the things of Jesus, 
it will involve helping other people get connected to Jesus. Helping make a disciple, please don't ever forget this. You are trying to help somebody become a disciple of Jesus, not a disciple of you. I don't want any disciples of me, none. I want everyone to become disciples of him. And so when we see a phrase like that, go make disciples, what you're really learning to do is just help people learn what it is to follow the Lord. And the best way, of course, is for us to model this. And to model this, we need to be living it and doing it ourselves. Can I get an amen? Please understand the ultimate goal here isn't big crowds. It's not huge social media followers. The goal is disciples of Jesus Christ, people who are living their lives to serve him, to honor him, to please him. The word disciple here, when it says uh, to, to go and make disciples, okay, the word disciple is a true Christ follower. That's a key phrase, a true Christ follower. To disciple someone is to help them progressively learn the word of God to become mature and to grow. So remember I said earlier, we're either growing or we're not. The word disciple right in it, built into it, means that we need to be helping and we need to be doing this ourselves, maturing and growing, becoming a true Christ follower. This is what, what else it means. To train in the truths of Scripture and the lifestyle required. In other words, helping a believer learn to be a disciple of Christ in both belief and practice. Belief and practice. You cannot have one without the other. You can't say, I believe in this, this is what drives my life, but then there's actually no outward evidence of it. Belief and practice go hand in hand. And we want to help people be discipled, help people uh, to become mature uh, in their walk with God. And you and I get into the word, and we're going to get to this, but you and I need to be constantly becoming more mature in our relationship with Jesus. Aren't you thankful that you're not exactly the same way you were the first day you met Jesus? He helps you grow. He helps you uh, mature. He helps you uh, learn new things. All nations in this passage where it says go and make disciples of all nations, what this phrase actually means in the original language is nations distinct from Israel. What they were saying here is the unbelieving world. So back then the idea was that all you in Israel, you already know this. You're already believers, if you will. I'm not giving you this great commission to just keep here and having a little echo chamber amongst yourselves. The phrase all nations means other nations aside from Israel. The unbelieving world. The actual definitions that it has here, I wrote them down somewhere. The unbelieving world, the Gentiles, the foreign nations not worshiping the living God. I don't know about you, but in Canada, I think we would count as another nation a nation that isn't worshiping the living God, a nation that is uh, living with all sorts of different priorities and living uh, to serve different things. We have to remember that this is at the heartbeat of the Great Commission, is going from here into the other people groups. This is where it gets tricky as believers. This is where it can get tricky if we become, it gets very tricky if we become religious. In fact, this doesn't happen if we become religious. I've had people talk to me and say, I don't quite get why you guys are in a church, but once in a while you make comments that are like negative towards religion. Aren't you all religious? I say, well, I get what you mean by religious in our current 2018 framework, but this is what the Bible says. And we have a very brief chat about who put Jesus on the cross in the first place. The religious leaders of the day. Jesus didn't come to set up another religion with a bunch of laws and orders and rules. He came to have a relationship and to see disciples follow him. People choose to live their life uh, following him. 
Too many churches in our culture, I believe, have abandoned this key principle in the Great Commission of going into all the other people groups. In other words, going to those who don't know Jesus is what it's telling us to use 2018 language. Because in 2018, there isn't one nation on earth that we can say is exclusively a Christian nation and everybody else uh, isn't. No, this is referring to people who don't know Jesus. How many here know someone who doesn't know Jesus? Yeah, we all do. Those are the people we're to go to. Not to slap them around, but to go and love, serve, pray for them, show them that we represent Jesus to the best of our ability. Too many churches have abandoned this because, let's be real, that part gets hard. That part gets us out of our comfort zone. That part gets tricky. That part has the potential for rejection to come. And we'll touch on all this as we go because that's how it was right from the beginning. They faced rejection from the very first time anybody tried to evangelize in the book of Acts in the early church. Nowhere in the Great Commission or nowhere in the scriptures do we see a mandate to go and help Christians shuffle around from one church to the next and just look for new forms of entertainment. That does not exist in the Bible. It does not exist in any of the letters that were written to all of the early churches. The key mandate and mission we are on is to go to those who aren't churched and who don't know Jesus and tell them the good news. Somebody else who already knows the good news, I want them to stay where they are, be planted and grow and have at it. I don't need to spend time there. I need to go to those who don't know Jesus. Now, I personally take this serious. My wife and I, you know, not just in, in our role, and I get it in our role in our job, people often will talk to us, and I'm convinced some people will talk to us, and they assume that one of my other agendas in life is to try to get them to come to our church. And I've had so many chats with people where I've said, I do not care where you go to church. I want you to get planted where God has you. I want you to grow and mature and start hammering out the Great Commission and fulfill all God has for your life. God knows what he's doing when he plants us. And he knows who should be planted here, and he knows who should be planted in a church around the corner. We've got six, 700,000 people in this region. Let's take 1,000 more churches overnight, please. We do not need to be fighting over a small segment of the population. We need more of the word of Jesus being spread throughout our city. I don't know if you do this, but pray for churches in our city. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I pray that the Holy Spirit shows up, and man, there is just a revival that sweeps through every single church. How amazing would that be? How transformative would that be? We've had conversations with people where it's like embarrassingly easy to say, you should, like, I'm talking to another believer now, not to, uh, uh, not to someone who's not a Christian. Someone who's not a Christian, <laughs> you invite them until the cows come home. I'm talking to someone who's a believer. We've had conversations where it would be just crazily easy to say, why don't you come check out our church? Because of the nature of the conversation and the things they're sharing and just, you know, dealing with a whole bunch of stuff that they're dealing with where they currently are. And we just recently had a, a chat with each other and I said, I will not do it. We can give them principles and we've had these chats, give you some principles to think about, you know, as it pertains to your Christian growth and maturity and so on and so forth. I'm not going to tell you to come to my church. That's his job. Be very leery of other believers who think their mission in life is to get you to go check out their church. There's 700,000 people who need to go check out their church. You, you really aren't one of them. Let's be real. God plants us. God knows where we're planted, and we need to grow and mature. So I just, I just take that. That's just a little, you know, a little insight into how I think and how we operate. Even when it's sitting there on a silver platter, I will not do it. Because I'm not into building my kingdom. I'm into him being able to build his kingdom. Can I get an amen? 
So the entire mission field is out there. The people that we just said, yeah, I know someone who doesn't know Jesus. And we're going to share a little bit here as we go, okay? I'm giving you notes, and then we'll wrap this up here with uh, just some tips on how to, in a simple, easy, day-in and day-out way, how we can share the good news of Jesus. Okay, number three, obedience. This is kind of short and sweet. I don't think we can really teach others to obey if we're not living a life of obedience ourselves. And obedience isn't perfection. I get it, you don't obey 100% of the time. None of us do. But you're living a life obeying Jesus. You're living a life doing your best to follow and obey uh, the plans that Jesus has before you. That is powerful to people around you who you have influence over. It is powerful when they see someone who truly is living their life trying to obey the teachings of Jesus because that's what a true disciple does. A true disciple doesn't just say, I want to come and sing songs once a week. A true disciple says, I want to follow him. And following means obedience. The Bible tells us obedience in God's eyes, obedience is better than a sacrifice. Sacrifice referring to having to make a sacrifice like they used to for their sin all the time. God would much rather have you and I learn to live a life of obedience than sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. Yeah, sure, the forgiveness is always available, I get it, but, you know, I guess God's saying, look, that gets old. Why don't you learn to obey? Let's walk this journey together and skip the whole sacrifice routine all the time. Get into his presence, get into his word, start learning to obey it, and you will, you will get better at obeying. Amen? I believe in the Great Commission, the phrase, teach them to obey, is perhaps one of the most ignored phrases in the entire Bible. And I've even heard people teach and preach on the Great Commission, and they will say, teach them, disciple them, baptize them. They will sometimes skip the word obey. Because in our culture, we love to talk about teaching. We love classes. We love seminars. We love courses. We love to read. We love books. We love to watch a gazillion things online. And all that stuff is, has value and it's good. But the phrase here, teach them to obey. Uh-oh. You can't just read a bunch of books and get that one. Obedience comes from here. Obedience comes from a true relationship. Oh, you can read books that can inspire you and maybe even help you uh, understand a bit more about what it's like to become a believer and a, a disciple who obeys. But the phrase in here is our job as Christians is to help others learn to obey. Help others learn to obey and walk closely with Jesus. I believe obedience unlocks the favor of God. And how timely is that with what Mary came up and shared here tonight about God's favor and a season of God's favor. How many here would say, I'm ready for a season of God's favor? I mean, who's ever going to say no to that? But I think as a church, we are ready to step into a season of God's favor. And God doesn't just choose willy-nilly. Well, I guess they've been struggling long enough. I'll throw out some favor. No, he watches how we live, how we persevere, how we press on, how we keep striving to honor and love and serve him. Even in the hardest seasons we go through, you can be sure as you live that way, you are storing up favor in God's eyes. You can believe for a day of favor to come because you've been living in such a way where he's going to unload it at some point. I don't know when. It's usually not as quick as we would like, but it's coming. The favor in the hand of God. Don't give up. Don't get weary. Keep going because you're going to end up reaping for what you're sowing. Amen? Number four, be humble. Be humble. Turn to your neighbor and say, be humble. 
Okay, so now we're in 2 Chronicles, pulling this, like I said, we're just literally stealing these from the Bible because why reinvent the wheel? But God told us, here's how you can have success at this. If my people who are called by my, my name will humble themselves. Did you know that humility takes intentional effort? Living your life humbly requires an intentional decision on your part. Have you ever met a human being who is just naturally humble and does not care about themselves one bit? They just, they're happy to get the worst of everything and they don't care. No. Human nature, our automatic instinct is to take care of ourselves. But he's encouraging us to learn to be humble. Prefer others ahead of us. It's not always about my way. It's not always about what I want. It's not always going to go the, the way I think it should go. That's fine. I'm being humble because I'm serving his kingdom, not my own. I'm serving his plans and his purposes. You know, I think there's something just so rewarding about learning to humbly serve God and serve the house of God. I love the vibe and the teamwork and the excitement I see with our A-teams in our church. Putting your hands to work, working together to fulfill something that you know is furthering the kingdom of God. Every single position, every single person who comes and who serves, you're not just serving other people, even though you are, you're ultimately serving God. Ultimately serving his kingdom. Ultimately serving the plan and purpose that he has for this church. Don't ever forget this. There's nothing greater that you will do with your time and with your effort or with your money than see the kingdom of God built. Bring your family alongside of you and say, we're going to go and we're going to serve the house of God together. We're going to go and we're going to serve the kingdom of God together. I was chatting with a parent uh, who has a, a young teen, uh, I guess middle-aged teen, and uh, <clears throat> they helped out at the carnival we did. Uh, they served and the, the teenager was there helping all day. And they had other things they could have done. Some friends from school had invited them to do this, that, and the other. Uh, but, uh, they, nope, they made the commitment, and they had a good chat, apparently, on the way over there, like, oh, you know, like, I could have done this today, but I made this commitment, and I'm going to honor commitment. Well, first of all, good parenting right there, teaching a child that when you make a commitment, that's how it always goes. You make a commitment, and then an amazing invitation to, like, to go to Canada's Wonderland shows up, right, after you've made the commitment. Man, I used to hate that when I was a teenager. Like, you double-check with everybody. Nothing ha nobody has anything cool going on, right? I can, uh, I can sign up and volunteer for this. Yeah, no, we're not doing anything the next day. Oh, we got tickets for the Jays game for free. You want to come? Like, come on. And the young man went and served, and on the way home said to his dad, said, you know what, Dad? I want to do that for the rest of my life. Like, whatever career I get in and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Like, obviously, I'm going to go for all those things. But I want to serve people. I want to use my hands to be serving God, to see the looks on their faces, to be able to talk to all those people I, I spoke to who live in this neighborhood, to see all their kids. The kid just left just overjoyed and overwhelmed. You know why that is? Because the Holy Spirit shows up and just dumps buckets upon you when you get busy serving the house of God. You walk out feeling like that because the Holy Spirit is there. That's right, young man. You keep going. You keep serving. This is what life is all about. Yeah, it gets tiring and wearying and busy and inconvenient sometimes. But, hey, going to the cross was tiring and wearying and inconvenient for Jesus. The least I can do is serve him in return. Can I get an amen? amen. I mentioned the pledge numbers earlier. Now, I want to I share something cool with you. I'm going to share this again Wednesday night at prayer uh, this week. A few months ago, one of our prayer meetings, when we were praying for the pledge amounts, right? This has been a unique season for our church this last few years. 
right? The enemy has shaken. There's been resistance. The enemy has tried to attack. You don't generally go, uh, you don't generally go into a building season and you're trying to raise money and then you see, uh, you know, just kind of the resistance and the opposition come to that degree. Naturally, my mind was telling me, well, we're probably going to end up with less pledges than have actually been pledged. Because some people who pledge don't even come here anymore. So I'm pretty sure we can wave that money bye-bye, right? Would you not agree? And a few months ago, one of those prayer nights, you might recall, if you were here, I threw out the challenge, and I threw it out because God just, you know, it was God throwing it out, not me, believe me. The challenge came out, why don't we pray that more money will come in that has been pledged? Never mind just meeting the pledge. Historically, about 85% is what comes in during pledge drives. My dad has tracked this for 35 years. 85-ish percent is where we usually max out. So the fact that we're at 98, first of all, we're shattering that, which is tremendous. Now, what that 98 doesn't tell you, like I said earlier, that 98% is just out of the people who made the original pledge. And the original pledge was, I can't remember the exact dollar amount, 440000 or something. As of today, as of this last weekend, we have seen $40,000 more come in than the total amount that was pledged. Yes, more. More come in. And I mentioned that night, I said, why don't we believe God we can hit 500,000 on this thing? And now I'm looking at it this week, and I was saying to Mary, like, we're going to hit 500,000? In this season of struggle and battle and opposition and the enemy doing what he can do to prevent God's will from moving forward, we're not only going to hit 100%, we've already gone over it when you factor in the extra giving, that the way we've gone over is extra, extra pledges that have come in since the original ones. So 98% of the original ones have come in, and then a whole bunch of extras have started floating in since then. For the first time in our church's history, we have surpassed our goal with a pledge drive. Come on, give God a hand. Give God a hand. And this is the God that you serve. We've got to make sure we don't forget this. The enemy would like to come along and say, I'm going to make this near impossible for them to raise money and open that campus because the last thing I want is another church in that part of our city. And God turns around and says, oh, yeah, you're going to shake and you're going to push and you're going to do all your nonsense and there's going to actually be physically less people in the building than there was two years ago and they're going to give more than they've ever given in the history of that church because that's the God that we serve. He stirs our faith. He causes us to believe for the impossible even in the most difficult seasons. The enemy never wins. He temporarily, you know, sometimes you feel like he temporarily has his foot on your neck, but he never wins. How many are grateful that God is on your side? All the time. All the time. Come on. Keep going. Let's believe that this summer we will more than surpass 500000 and just keep right on rolling. The less money we have to borrow, of course, I mean, the better things are. We're going to get to business down there at connecting people to Jesus. That's why the enemy is resisted so hard. He doesn't want people connected to Jesus. It's pretty simple. You're in the Jesus business. So sometimes that means you have a bit of a battle on your hands. But you always end up on the winning side. Amen? Number five. Oh, sorry, before I skip the end of four, I, I threw one extra note in Be Humble. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, so you can look it up on the podcast. Unity, the key of unity. Unity becomes possible when we humble ourselves. And we need unity here if we're going to see God do amazing things. There's no way around it. That's really one of the reasons I believe we've seen what we've seen happening 
this year. I've got some more stats I'll share with you on Wednesday night that are going to encourage you about what's been going on right under your noses here every weekend at church. The unity that has developed in this place, the hunger for God, the, the increase in prayer, there is something spiritual that takes place when all those things start to get rolling along. When all those things start to get humming along. And if we're ever going to believe God that we will be a place that is solidly uh, in unity, that means each of us has to humble ourselves. Where there's humility, there can be unity. And I preached on that a couple months back, uh, so you can go look that up. Number five, seek him. Humble ourselves, pray, and seek his face. Can I give you just literally just the raw version here? Seek God like you've never seeked him before. Seek after him like you have never sought him before. He has everything that you need. He knows what you need to hear from him. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows those things in your life right now. You're sitting in here with some secrets that nobody else knows. Guess what? He does. Get on your knees and seek after him like you've never sought him before. Seek after God with all of your heart. I believe this happens personally at home when no one else sees it. Just you and Jesus. But it also happens here corporately. Wednesday prayers, pre-service prayers, time, times of worship. We come and we seek after God. I love that we're a praying church. I was just thinking that today during prayer. I said, like, boy, God, thank you for putting me in a praying church. Yeah. Last thing I would ever want to be in is a church that doesn't pray. Spiritual organization that's missing the spirit. Lord, we're going to be a church that prays more than ever before. Because there's power that comes in prayer. You get prayer combined with an aligned life, a life that is living for the plans and purposes of Jesus and willing to inconvenience ourselves uh, to do the things he's asked us to do. The sky is the limit. God will do incredible things when he sees us desperate for him. There have been studies done of thousands and thousands and thousands of believers in North America, and the repeated conclusion is that the number one thing that you need to establish as an absolute habit in your life, if you're going to see your life grow and change as a believer, is reading the Bible. And that shouldn't surprise any of us. Everything we need is already in that book. Then you combine that with prayer, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit that you have active in your life. Watch out. The word combined with the spirit is unstoppable. Reading the word constantly comes back as the number one thing that will help believers uh, grow. You know what happens when we seek after him, we get into his presence, we listen to him. And I'm not just talking about praying your whole list of prayer needs day after day after day, although he cares about those. But take some time to get into God's presence and just let him speak to you. He starts to change us on the inside. He starts to transform us. He starts to get us a little bit more fired up for his mission, which should be now our mission. All the things that we're looking at here, you might think, I don't know how to do that well. I don't know how to lead people to Jesus. I don't know how to teach them to obey. You start getting in the presence and the word of God, you will learn. And this is what we always teach our small group leaders, our staff, anybody here, any of you, whoever work with a new believer, don't you become their Holy Spirit voice. Don't you try to become their God. Don't you try to tell them how to live, what to listen to, how to talk, all that. No, no, no. Teach them how to pray and teach them how to read the word. And guess what? The Holy Spirit shows up and speaks to them. Hey, that behavior, let's not do that anymore. The Holy Spirit is who they start to follow. The word of God. They become disciples of Jesus, not disciples of you. Trust me, you don't want someone being a disciple of you. That is heavy pressure and you're not going to succeed. 
You want them to become a disciple of him and him alone. Can I get an amen? And number six, best for last, <laughs> we see in 2 Chronicles, we need to not sin. <sighs> Great. How do we do that? By doing all these other things. Seeking after the Lord, learning to obey, learning to get busy into the mission, realizing that we're called to go and not just come here and be entertained. All the things we've talked about, when you start to align your life and you get passionate in your relationship with Jesus, one of the things he changes in here is he starts to develop within you a dislike for sin. Holiness and purity is so vital in the life of a believer. And again, I said this earlier, we're not perfect, and he knows we're not perfect. But you know what? God is also big enough to help bring freedom in your life from that thing that has gripped you for a long time. His desire isn't that you just keep carrying that same sin around for decade after decade after decade. He is powerful and able to end that thing. Think of the, uh, just think, okay? Don't yell this out. Just think of the biggest obstacle, weight, sin, vice, whatever word you want to use, the biggest thing in your life that's just, it's been there and it's just kind of been sitting on your shoulders for years or even decades, okay? And we all generally have one, at least one. Think of that thing and then think to yourself for a moment. Imagine how you would feel, how you would live, how you would function if that thing was gone and you were completely free. Our lives would be completely different. Think about the energy that gets wasted. Think about the hours in prayer with us trying to battle through the combination of the enemy's condemnation and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Think about uh, the things we try to hide. Think about the way we try to cover and mask the wrong emotions, the wrong thought process. Imagine your biggest vice, your biggest, the thing that's had the biggest grip was completely removed and you were completely free. Jesus hung on the cross so that could be a reality. Jesus went to the cross so you and I could live that way and experience that. He didn't go to the cross to mostly set us free. He went to the cross so we could be free. And some things I, require, I realize require a deeper dig. Some things require just, you know, you get desperate on your knees in the presence of God. Some things are going to require, of course, help from others with accountability and with prayer, deliverance. Who knows what you need? But do not stop seeking after him until you experience your freedom. Your call, your future, your destiny is too big to let a little vice over here get in the way of the whole thing. Let's rid ourselves of the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run, run, run with perseverance the race God has laid out before us. No hindrances, no weights, no obstacles, running after God. This is the God that you serve. He does not come along with this sort of a request and, and do it in a negative way. He says, I want you to be free because there's so much more. You'll never want to go back. Seek after God and pursue holiness and purity. Amen? Very quickly, some examples from the scriptures of how we influence. I love the example of Paul. In the book of Acts, we read about Paul walking around the streets of Athens, and he was taking it all in. He's walking around the streets of Athens, and he's noticing uh, all of their idols, all their religious symbols, all the gods, all of the statues. He wasn't just on a sightseeing trip. He wasn't just being a tourist and just going bonkers on Instagram. He was walking around and he was observing for a reason. He was taking it all in for a purpose. And then he ends up getting 
brought before the city council. So he's there and he starts preaching the gospel. And when he starts preaching the gospel, he constantly refers to all of their cultural uniquenesses, their idols, their false gods, the things that he saw. You, if you read back in those passages, he even mentions that one time. Well, walking through your streets, I noticed you even have an inscription to the unknown God. He's, he was observing and paying attention. Why? Because he wanted to be able to share the gospel to them in a way that made sense for them and their culture. And as he does this, people don't like it, of course, and he gets dragged before the high council, it says. They think, let's get this, punish this guy. Paul's thinking, yes, thank you, Lord. I get to go right to the top, right to the big wigs of the city. He comes to the high council, and they say, tell us what you've been speaking out there. You've been talking about us and our city and our people. Let's hear it. And he preaches to them, and the scriptures say a whole bunch of them in the high council, they laughed at him. This is one of your fears as a believer, isn't it? When you share the good news, someone's just going to laugh at you and call you a name, an idiot, and you know, get rid of you. You know what else it says happened with the high council? Some of them said, hey, let's talk later. We want to hear more of this. Oh, sure, you might get some laughs. You might get some crazy uh, names thrown your way, but there's always going to be some people in the crowd who say, hey, I want to hear a bit more of this. They'd never heard this before. And he was able to deliver his message in a way that made sense to them because he had, in, a, in his time there, he had started to familiarize himself with the culture. Christians are not called, I want to make sure you get this, we are not called to live in isolation from our culture. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Not of the world, meaning we don't think the same way. We don't have the same values. But don't try to hermit yourself and bubble yourself and isolate yourself. How are you going to have any influence? How are you going to share the good news? Paul, Paul had it right. He said, I'm going to get into that city. I'm going to see what they're all about. And then I'm going to tailor my message to them. And he did that everywhere he went. He wasn't just repeating the exact same lines everywhere he went. It would have made no sense in different places. Athens was a unique city at that time. There's some other examples we see in Scripture of how you and I uh, can share the good news, how you and I can look for opportunities. And so that's the first one, the example of Paul, where we learn to speak to people at their level. Don't speak to them with a bunch of weird Christianese and stuff that makes no sense. Learn to connect with people on their level, on their interests. Right? I shared, I don't know if it was here, I think it was in prayer, because I didn't want to record this uh, on the podcast, so I won't repeat the whole story now either. <laughs> but uh, I had an amazing conversation a few uh, weeks ago with somebody who, on the phone, said to me, I am a hardcore socialist. I've been a socialist for years. And I'm going to, uh, what the gist of the conversation was, they were going to try to go to their union boss to get us more money for events and uh, initiatives to bless Hamilton and bless the city through I Heart My City. And I realized in that conversation, we, me and this person I spoke with, we believe a lot of complete opposite things about life, about family, about religion, about politics, about finance, about, I mean, you name it. I, we could probably like do an anonymous survey and come up with opposite answers all the way through. But I found the one thing that resonated with them. Blessing people in our city who are underprivileged. Blessing people in our city who don't have... And they said, I'm going to try to get you more money. I'm going to try to get checks coming from you. I'm going to try to talk to our union boss and see if we can get them to partner with more of your I Heart My City stuff. Learn to share the good news in a way that connects with people where they're at. 
I would have been an absolute fool to start arguing, oh, socialist, well, that's stupid. Did you know? And start digging up history books on, you know, socialism. No, no, no. I would have completely killed any opportunity right there to have a, a connection. And here's somebody, and I guarantee you, they got off the phone and thought, did I really just, and, and they knew who we were, by the way. It wasn't anonymous. They said, I've been on your website. I see what you're all about. I love this. Love, you'll see your church. I'm sure they got off the phone and said, I've never really been that passionate about giving a Christian church money before. But that's what the Holy Spirit does when we present the good news to people where they're at. Okay, so that's the first tip. We see plants, seeds, and salt mentioned throughout Scripture. Because of time, I won't get into it all. Plants, seeds, and salt. Very minor, kind of just small, innocuous, hidden, simple little ways that the good news is supposed to spread. 1 Corinthians 3 says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God made it grow. There, once again, God has the heavy lifting part of this. He causes growth, but we've got to do our part. Galatians 6 says, whatever we sow, we reap. Okay, we're seeing little examples here with plants and seeds, small things. Christians sometimes get all wound up trying to act like we all have to be Billy Graham or we won't succeed. No, just learn how to be a good seed. Learn how to be a healthy plant. That's all you got to do. You don't need to, you know, maybe God will turn you into Billy Graham. I don't know, but that's how he became Billy Graham, was being a good seed. Being a good plant. Galatians 6 again says, sow to the flesh, reap the flesh. Sow to the spirit, reap the spirit. All these principles are so simple right under our noses in scripture. Sowing time, reaping time, harvest time, watering, planting. Matthew 5 says, you are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. You are the salt of the earth. Think about how small and insignificant salt is. Yet it's one of the ways you as a believer can make a difference in your community. People will notice that saltiness about you. Many of you have experienced this. They notice your family. They notice your marriage. They notice the way you live. They notice the attitude. They notice that they're never here coming from you, a whole bunch of crazy you know, yelling and cursing and swearing at people across the road. They notice something salty about you that's a little bit different. It just tastes a little bit better than anyone else they've rubbed shoulders with. Your witness is absolutely your biggest witness. Amen? I believe our goal should be to take the gospel to the people, not just try to lure them to our church. Ed Stetzer says this, the right reason to build a bridge for the gospel is to cross over to the people in culture. Now listen to this. If you're only building a bridge to culture so people can find your church, then you will be captured by the culture because your goal is the crowd. And boy, is this ever true in Western Christianity too often today. I'm going to repeat that line. If you're only building the bridge to culture, trying to look, sound, act, feel, smell, taste, exactly like culture so that they want to come to your church, he said, then you will be captured by the culture. You become, uh, you become servant to them, right? You become just like the, on the end of a string, a puppet string, because your goal is the crowd. The goal of the gospel should be more disciples for Jesus, not a bigger congregation. And you're going to get laughed at by certain elements of culture. Who cares? The goal is more disciples of Jesus. There's a recent study that showed 79%, so this is again North America, 79% of unchurched people are open to conversations about faith and Christianity, yet only 39% of Christians have shared with someone in the past six months. Summer 2018, let's try to close that 40% gap. Sure, there's still 20% of people out there who are ready to laugh at you and mock you if they know you're a Christian. But it sounds like there's 79% who are ready to have a discussion. 
Yeah, I'd like to hear. Just like the high council in Athens. <laughs> get out of, get this idiot out of here. What a moron. And then a few of them speak up. Oh, well, we want to talk later. We need to hear more about this. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be. You and I aren't the ones who save, but we need to just become disciples and followers of Jesus, sold out and passionate for him, and he will start to use your life. Your saltiness will start to rub off. Your neighbors and coworkers and people that you hang around with are going to start to ask you questions. You're going to get ways to share with them on their level how good Jesus has been to you. Doesn't matter if you're not a Bible scholar or a preacher or like Billy Graham. No, that doesn't matter. Love Jesus Take these six steps this summer of saying, I'm going to grow and become more like him, and you will start to get busy with the mission he has us for. The mission is all about his kingdom. Not mine, not yours, not any individual, all about him all the time. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about him all the time. Now, to speaking of invitations, next weekend you are not going to want to miss and you are going to want to bring people with you. Nathan Smith is going to be back with us from overseas, our missionary over in the Middle East. Him and his wife are coming home. And he is picking up summer growth. You're going to get some tips for growth in your life next week. He's going to be speaking on prayer and the importance of learning to hear the voice of God and get into the presence of God in your life. The organization he's connected with, right, you know with all nations uh, that he's been connected with, they've been using him to teach on this. He told us when he was home last time, he goes, the stuff I learned here as a new believer, I'm realizing it's not very common in many places I go. They have me teaching on it. And we said, when you're home in the summer, you're going to teach us on it. Do not miss next weekend. Come on, it's going to be awesome to have those guys back with us. Invite a friend out. Invite somebody with you. I know you got vacation time coming in the summer. Enjoy it. Love it. Sit on the beach. Just bake. But when you're here, let's be growing. Let's be praying. And let's believe God for a summer of growth together. Amen? Come on, God's good. God is good. Let's pray, church. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are good, and we are just so excited that we get to be your disciples. We get to follow you in life. We would not want to follow anyone else. I pray tonight, if there's anyone in here, and we've noticed other things creeping up to the forefront in our lives, and we're starting to maybe follow things that we shouldn't. I pray that we would just refocus tonight, refix our gaze back on you like we sung about earlier and say, I'm going to be a disciple who follows Jesus. I'm going to follow him. This summer, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to enjoy my summer following Jesus and becoming a bit more like him day by day. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. I thank you for this praying church. I thank you for this worshiping church. I thank you for this united church. We are unified in you. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who's not yet begun their own journey with you. It's not a religion. It's not a list of stuff. It's a relationship with you, the most amazing heavenly father, just your life changer. None of us would be here if it weren't for you, your love and your grace. I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, that they would realize at this very moment they can start their own personal journey with you 